Hey, fella. Binaural beats. Or binaural. <laughs> I don't... I say binaural. Binaural. Like N-E-U. N-U-B-I-N-U-R-A-L. Binaural. Binaural. Huh. So, so, so like I'm wearing headphones right now. Yeah. And basically you, a different tone is being played on each side. So okay. one is being played on the right, one on the left. And then your brain interprets it as another tone. Like they mix. Uh-huh. And that new tone can supposedly put your brain in different states. So alpha, theta, theta. delta, yeah, yeah. depending on if you want to focus. You've put me onto some like theta naps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. basically that. Which but are then, outstanding. So, oh, those naps are binaural beats. Yeah, oh, okay. Because they do that beep, boop. And then do you yeah. hear like a different tone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. binaural beats. Uh, it's outstanding. If you yeah. want a theta nap. I, oh. I, some of the most restful naps I've yeah, ever had. You just wake up. There's an eight-hour one for sleep. If I, I had eight hours to sleep, I swear to God, I, I would I took try. a 45-minute theta nap. Mm. Was it good? Gracias. Thank you. So they have focus ones, too. So okay. like I'll, I'll play that underneath music that I'm playing. And you know what? They're super accessible. You can find them on YouTube. The tubes. Yeah. And on... I, I have like Amazon music. I have Spotify music. The I have tubes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anybody call it that look, before. Look them up on the tubes. On the tubes. Binaural beats. Get it. Welcome back to the More in Common podcast, a place for genuine, authentic conversation where we explore the fact that we have more in common than that which divides us. And once again, it's me, producer Ruff, letting you guys know it's still Black History Month. With that being said, I got another quote for you guys. This time it's from American classic icon, singer, legendary, Etta James. And she said, my mother always told me, even if a song has been done a thousand times, you can still bring something of your own to it. I like to think I did that. Now, isn't that something special? We also have another review for you guys. Speaking of special, the reviewer, it's from It's Like a Volcano. I guess that's a reviewer name. Real conversations are fun. I wish I could have a conversation like this every day. It's an awesome experience to talk to Keith and Rodney for an hour about things that matter. They have created a great platform with more in common to help all of us normal people feel connected through the real conversations. I appreciate what they're doing and highly recommend subscribing. Thanks for the experience, guys. Don't know. It might be one of our former guests. But don't forget, this first season that we're doing in 2020 is all about a decade possible. And this first initial season is all about pursuit. Remember, you can find all things more in common at moreincommonpod.com, our episodes, merchandise, and our blog. And definitely, if you like what you hear, Give us a like on your favorite podcast app and leave a review and we'll try to read it on air. Today, we are with Erica Taylor Haskins. We are with her. She is the co-founder of Tinsel Experimental Design, and she's an incredible woman. We discuss how to manage an exclusive environment, managing judgment in the face of honesty, and the transition from corporate to entrepreneurship. letting people go if they can go to better experiences or better opportunities so it's not I think we all kind of like oh someone got fired someone got laid off and it's like I feel bad for them they're like they're dead now (laughs) they don't exist in this reality anymore and it's not that it's not like we're you know putting someone literally on the chopping block 
but it's it's you know flipping it and knowing that you're letting them free to go do something that actually is a better fit for them. First part is what parts of your current culture and whether that's at a company or even, you know, in your household with your family, what parts of the culture feel really right and matter and have a big impact. And then the second piece of that is what do you think needs to change or be added to be more beneficial and productive? Our team has an event in a couple of days for Teen Vogue, where Miss Anna Wintour is showing up. And to me, again, like that's such a moment of like my little Erica self is like, holy shit, like it's a Vogue party and Anna Wintour is gonna be there. But the unglamorous part of that is like, I'll also be like eating takeout Chinese in the back on cardboard boxes probably <laughs> at some point. That, you know, it's like, I, I'm not like standing next to Anna, but I'll see her with my eyes. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's super special. And again, you know, I, something that I'm very cognizant of always is there are a lot of really dream venues that we get to work at and work at on a regular basis that I know so intimately and have been like deep in the hallways of, right? So something like the New York Public Library or you know, a Cipriani's kind of space. It's so like sparkly and spectacular and like storied. And even if you've never set foot in New York City, like you know what that space is. Welcome back everybody. Today we are with Erica Taylor Haskins. She's the founding of founding partner of New York City-based event production company, Tinsel Experiential Design, formerly known as Tinsel and Twine. She is passionate about attending Broadway shows, enjoying nap time with a French bulldog, Mayhem, May for short, writing to Congress daily, and travel to soak in blue waters, blue skies, red meat, and red wine. Her business, Tinsel, is committed to redefining luxury events through the execution of imagination, immersive experiences for private clients and for brands like Mercedes-Benz, Spotify, L'Oreal, Condé Nast, you know, some small brands that you may or may not have heard of. Tinsel has proudly produced events at iconic institutions like the New York Public Library, the Guggenheim Museum, the Rainbow Room, and One World Observatory. The team's work has been featured in Vogue, WWD, Forbes, and Town & Country, with the company named recently as one of the top 50 event designers in North America. Her experience has given her a deep understanding of how to leverage authentic relationships to reach target audiences. And if that's not enough for y'all, beyond Tinsel, Erica is the Northeast Regional Coordinator for the Jackie Robinson Foundation, a national nonprofit organization founded to perpetuate the icon's legacy through scholarship, leadership, and service. She was honored as one of the JRF's 42 under 40 distinguished alumni. She is committed to sharing her business journey with other aspiring entrepreneurs. Goodness, that's a mouthful. Hi, Erica. <laughs> How are you? Hi, guys. Welcome. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm excited to speak with you. How are you feeling? I'm good. 
I'm good. glad it's Friday. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong into the weekend. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's goodness. <laughs> so many places I want to start. Uh, how to pick one. <laughs> so so we'll ease into this one a little bit. Okay. Um, and there, because really, like for us, um, as we build and build our um, organization to not only do this, um, which we think is incredibly important, but also working to help other organizations build, develop, and mature their culture. On your website, you talk about Tinsel having an environment that fosters creativity, collaboration, inclusion, mm -hmm. and celebration. Yeah. Now that you're over 100 employees, you're crushing it. Um, <laughs> how do you maintain that culture so everybody feels it? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. It's something that we talk a lot about. And we actually recently just did an exercise with our core team. Um, call, and our, our business coach referred to this as the Martian challenge, where essentially taking small groups and smaller sub segments, sub segments whew, of our team and saying, if a Martian landed, on earth and was like, tell me about tinsel. What do you guys do? What are your customs? What are your rituals? What works here? What doesn't work? What would you tell them? Mm. And it's really interesting to see what people came back with. And generally across the board, it really resonated with what we as a leadership think are important to us. And then some other things bubbled up that we thought were super, super interesting. But largely, I mean, we and when I say we, I often speak in the royal we like a crazy person, but it's with love that I have two business partners named uh, Liz and Adette. And we've known each other for almost 18 years. We met in college and then started this business together nine years ago and become incredibly close. We have a weird twin speak and share a lot of <laughs> weird ticks together. So we, <laughs> as a single entity, um, have always talked about the fact that in building our company, we wanted it to be a place where it would be a place where people could feel comfortable sharing their opinions and not feel like they're stepping on toes or they're saying the wrong thing at any given time because it's not the party line. Um, and I, I often think about my past life before starting Tinsel when I worked in advertising and I'd be in these conference rooms with my bosses or supervisors and I would be terrified to be the first one to speak because God forbid I said the wrong thing and got like daggers shooting out of someone's eyes. And I never wanted our company to be that kind of place. We want people to be able to feel like they can come into work and, you know, dress how they want to dress that expresses their personality, that they can share what they did on the weekend without judgment, that they can be excited to spend time with other team members and even our clients outside of work and feel like they can be their real true selves and not put on a weird fake act um, based on what's quote unquote right. So that's always been really important to us. And, you know, likewise, we are a predominantly female company and a lot of different backgrounds are presented, but really important for us to make sure that our company was a place where people felt empowered and really supportive of other other people. And I think when we first first started and really started bringing on team members, there was a little bit of this sisterhood dynamic and in a, I say this in a loving way, although it's going to sound a little bit derogatory, but it almost felt a little bit sorority row-ish, where we're like, yeah, we're here, and, you know, kind of have like our our place, um, and we've grown up, so it, it, we try to make sure that it still feels like a place of work in a professional environment, but still 
you know, it's a place where we play music and we have dogs around and people feel like they can joke and have fun and just make sure it's an environment that people enjoy coming to instead of having Monday scaries. Question. Yeah. I love that. I love the Martian concept and like asking that question to get to what people think is the culture. Probably going to steal that. No, we'll credit you. It. We'll credit you. <laughs> I'm probably going to steal it. I know. Uh, With like a fourth degree credit. So you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to name drop me. <laughs> <laughs> Your business coach probably got it from somebody. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Making an inclusive, inclusive place where people can feel like they can share their weekend without judgment. Like that's not easy. And that question alone doesn't address that. So how do you actually make that real? And then to go a layer deeper, no, I won't even go a lady. I'll just stop there. Like, yeah. well, how, how would you? Yeah, yeah we're doing yeah. mind meld, right? <laughs> we're, That's mind meld. Ooh, mind meld to the, the microphone. Twin thought. Yeah, twin speak, I know. Um, and, I mean, I, and look, I'm putting yeah. you on a spot a little bit. Like, this is not, Please. like, I don't expect you to have, like, some magic solution. Although, if you did, it would be great. No, uh, I mean, I, I, I deal in magic solutions. That's my job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, a lot of it has to come from leadership so again from us as partners and the people that maybe are a little bit more senior and tenured on Mm -hmm. the team where you know when we're comfortable being real humans and being a little bit vulnerable or at least being personal it sets the tone that that's okay at our company that you can say you know there's times like when i'm like you know what i'm hungover today (laughs) i made the wrong decision last night or you know i really i worked too much over the weekend and that's not how i want to spend my personal time that's not what we aspire to at this company. So I'm going to make a point and be very intentional about not plugging in nights and weekends this week. So again, kind of, I think it's been important for us to share what is the reality, but then again, I guess going a deep, a a layer deeper, possibly presenting what that solution is for people. So setting the example and what's the positive spin, even if it's something that, okay, maybe this was, not the greatest thing to share with my colleagues and my professional peers, but you know, what's the valuable lesson there? How do you and manage? I, well, oh, go oh, ahead. Man. Sorry. I, I think you, I think there is a magic answer actually. And you just nailed it. I think honesty from leadership is probably honesty and transparency to the yeah. point where it's, where it's, um, a, where you're able to, I think that's the key yeah. uh, to building culture. And I, yeah. uh, Keith, go ahead. And then, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, cause, um, I think something you said in there, like, how do you, how do you at Tinsel, you all manage the judgment component, right? Cause I, mm-hmm. that's the, 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 the cultural piece that we talk about this with, with tech organizations is helping manage that judgment piece that essentially says, I know I can come in here but you can go in there and then have 99 other people judge you mm-hmm. and that'll hurt your culture. Right. Um, you know, and it will be a negative consequence. So how do you manage that? How do you, how do you grow that? Is it a, you know, the three of you set the example or, or is it how you hire? Like what, what's the, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's gotta be a combination of both. I mean, to toot our own horns, we also pride ourselves on just hiring really good people. And when I say good, I mean, good as in talented, but also good as in just kind, like just surrounding and building the team, knowing that there are just really good, kind generous humans is 75% of the equation. And I mean, you know, without going into specifics, we've had other people that have come and gone 
as part of our team and not because they weren't talented. And sometimes it hurt because people were especially talented, but just weren't a great emotional or cultural mm. fit. And it just could not be. It could not so be. Just being yeah, honest not, not with my that, health. that realization. Yeah. So yeah. Keith, real quick, what do you mean by managing judgment? Are you talking about internal or external judgment? Both. I think it's as a leader, you manage the culture of judgment. But yeah. internally, you also have to manage your own biases. So if one of your people come in and do that, like I'm hungover today, like yeah. being able to say that to the owner of your company, your boss, yeah. Yeah. and know that she's going to be cool with it. Yeah. Like as long as I'm showing up and doing my job and I'm, it's not yeah. affecting like, exactly. how do I mean, you personally yeah. manage that? I think it's a yeah. great question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you nailed it too. As long as it doesn't inhibit what needs to happen for the business. I mean, I, I, I'm not a cool mom. No, but like, <laughs> I, like, I, I don't, I don't really care as long as like what needs to get done gets done. Uh -huh. And again, I, I think it goes back. Isn't that to, a dangerous caveat though? Cause like, Let's say somebody in my family died and I'm, I come in and I'm like, hey, somebody just died. Like, that's likely going to affect my work well, for the day. That's the whole, that's Well, but being hungover is control. similar. Like, it's going to affect how, I mean, realistically, yeah. it's probably going to affect how that's I work. That's the whole, I mean, obviously, we've had moments where people have had family emergencies or personal things. And as a small organization, we at least have a good advantage to say, you know what, like you need to go take care of that and we'll take mm -hmm. care of business. I mean, that's, that to me, it's a totally different thing. If you're coming in hungover, you still have to get your job done. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. It, and it's one An thing emergency. to come in hungover one time in three years. Yeah, it's exactly. another thing to, it's like, Hey, you do this every Monday. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's not, right. Yeah. That's not what yeah. We're now, that's how, do you, personal thing. how do you do this is something that I, I think about a lot. As well, wait, 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 quick. wait yeah. hold on. So like, but the, the point I was trying to make oh. there is like if somebody's being honest about the, where, where their frame of mind is for whatever reason mm -hmm. when they come in mm -hmm. to Keith's question about judgment, if I come in and I'm like, hey, boss, X, Y, Z, I'm not 100 percent. It's likely that, and the reason I would say that is because it's probably going to affect how I show up. So like if I didn't get a good night's sleep last night, which was outside of my control, and I tell Keith like, yo, that thing that I owe you today. Like, I'm probably not going to be able to get to it because blah, blah, blah. Like, he may not be happy about it, but, yeah. like, how does the yeah. culture respond to it? I mean, that's it? a Is good the... question. I, I'd say we, knock on wood, don't, haven't had to deal with that terribly consistently or often. But, again, something that's really significant within our culture is setting expectations and being mm. honest about those expectations. So, I, I can't speak to that scenario specifically, but across the board, you know, our, we have trained and mentored our team that it's their job to set expectations, both with themselves, with clients, with vendor partners or whoever the conversations with that it's okay to sometimes, sometimes it's okay sometimes. to miss a deadline or sometimes it's okay. You know, if someone asks for something by a certain date that if you honestly can't make that happen and accommodate it, you have to get in front of it and solve the problem for them. You can't just not do it. Mm -hmm. So to your point, Rodney, if you're like, look, I, I'm not feeling great today. I've got the flu, <laughs> you know, whatever the, the, mm -hmm. the circumstances, like I, I'm just not a hundred percent. I'm going to be, you know, a little slow on this thing, but I know I can get this to you by tomorrow o'clock, whatever. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. That I mean, at least in the in the land of tinsel, that that's totally fair game. Again, as long as yeah. it doesn't impact the big picture, and a lot of our clients really appreciate that because everything is so time sensitive that 
you know, just those little check-ins or those moments of honesty and sharing throughout mm. the process. Because there are even times that I'm like, I know I owe something to someone two days from now. So they don't actually really care where I am in the process. But it's just part of the way that I work. There's just like, I just want to keep you posted. I'm like talking to this person and da-da-da. I'm still on track to get you the thing. Just so that you have that like, phew, that exhale moment. And you're not lying awake like, I hope Erica is taking care of that thing that it. I need yeah. from my boss. Yeah. yeah. No, it's. Um, I think that's it's, key too, like the whole, like the expectations setting them, and then just the fact. That I think you, you, something. I think we, Keith, you and I try and do is like, hey, man, I'm not 100. Uh, can I delay on this, or can you help me with it, mm-hmm. or can you know, can somebody else right. help with it? Yeah. So that the the work, because that's the thing. I think that's hard is the business, you know, like. Just the the numbers don't uh-huh. care about your feelings or how yeah, you're doing, exactly. and exactly. they have like, to just the numbers work. don't care about your feeling. I'm gonna put but that on a t-shirt. The culture does because <laughs> if the culture's not working, then the business can't work. So yeah, I think no. I think it's one of those things that often goes overlooked when you when thinking about culture is the impact of honest personal communication mm-hmm. affects. Um, professional communication like your example is it's a really clear one it's hey i i didn't sleep last night my daughter i'm not at the top of my game and you're like okay so what are your deadlines today right like now we can have a conversation now i can go tell my i feel okay telling my client like hey are are you good if i get this to you by tomorrow and if they say no like we've got to figure out a solution but we can have that line of communication simply because you know it's it's so common in business world it's like separate this is something i think we learned quite a few years ago in one of the trainings that we received but this idea of work self and personal self like keep personal mm. out of work well mm. you can't especially mm. with a lot of what we do i work from home or mm-hmm. you know you know i'm on a conference call and my kid runs into my room like these things right. plus our brains just don't work like that they like, just we don't, don't just yeah, we, just, yeah. we have an identity and yes, like exactly. compartmentalizing it creates you know other issues other issues yeah. and how you show up to work so yeah. i think that's that's awesome and and how you um have that now you also mentioned something about you know people and this uh, there's a a great book about principles uh, by ray dalio and he actually talks about mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, he has this two-year period. Like, people are going to come in. They're going to get trained on our culture. They're going to learn yeah. about our principles and values. Uh-huh. And some people are going to stick around. Some people aren't, right? Like, if yeah. it's not for them, it's not their culture. Like, yeah. Now, I think this is one of the most um, overlooked because it's probably the most insensitive piece of managing <laughs> culture is that not everybody's going to be a fit. It doesn't make them a yeah. bad person. They're just not, not a fit for the culture that we're trying yeah. to present. Like, so how yeah. do you guys have a process around it? Is it a feel? Like, how do you manage that to to make sure that you know you're being giving people a fair shot and at the same time, you know, fostering your culture? Yeah, and that's a great, great point. I mean, again, part of something that we talk about with our team, both related to our company specifically, but just in general as humans, is the idea of not burning bridges, right? Like you, we meet so many people across our industry. I mean, I feel like I I literally talk to at least 20 new people every day between vendors, between clients, et cetera. 
Um, and you never know who knows who or who's going to open a door for you or who you'll cross paths with in the future. And as big of a city as New York is, it's a small town. <laughs> it gets mm. really small really quickly. Especially in the design space. Especially when you're in an uh-huh. industry because all industries are very... Uh-huh. You keep running into the same people Very over insular. and over and over. Yep. It's a wild that way. Yeah. So with that, I mean, again, we've had people that have come and gone and played different roles, but our goal is never to burn a bridge with someone. So whether they're not a good fit for that particular role that they were in at that time, or even where they were in their career and level of expertise, and who knows, you know, in years from now, they might pick up other skill sets, et cetera. Or I think, again, to your point, Keith, the hardest thing is people that maybe just aren't a cultural or personality fit. And unless they are just really a terrible, shitty person, that's okay. (laughs) If they're just a terrible, garbage human, then that's a whole nother story. But, um, you know, it's something that we've talked about with people that have come and gone with our team, just making it clear that, like, we're still cool. Like, I like this person. I would love to grab a drink with that person. I'd love to sing karaoke with that person. We'll go dancing with that person. They just aren't the quite the right fit for the mechanics of what our machine are. And again, you know, I think what I love about our team and really appreciate is that everyone that's part of our crew right now really has the best interest of the bigger picture in mind. So even if someone has a personal relationship where they're like, oh, I'm bummed that person didn't work out because they were, you know, my, my sister friend at the company, they still understand that if they weren't a good fit for what we're all trying to achieve together, then that's okay too. It's interesting, Keith, that you called it an insensitive part of culture and management. Uh, I think that's probably because it's not dealt with honestly in a lot mm-hmm. of situations. Cause I would agree with that. One of the best managers I've ever been coached by she said to me the hardest part of her job is determining who who is a fit and who is not a fit for the team mm. and having that frank conversation with them like, hey, this team's not right for you. And and she said actually, yeah. actually when she actually gets to that point, 90% of the time the person knows it. They're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, this isn't the right team for me. Yeah. And she saw it as her job to help them find the right job and yeah. find the right fit whether yeah, it be in totally. a company or somewhere else totally. changing it from insensitive to extremely yeah. sensitive like hey yeah because like nobody performs well when they're in the wrong position like, right that's just I totally that's far more that. insensitive yeah. letting somebody struggle and drown and like right yeah everybody's you, like I man like... you suck at your job it's like i know but i yeah you know, i gotta keep i gotta get a paycheck i know i totally agree i think people know they can feel it you feel it because you dread going to that place and you know that you're not being your 100%. So I I don't think that I've ever had anyone that's been totally shocked when these transitions have happened. And actually there is a really phenomenal woman that I, I met at a conference last year named Cindy, Cindy Novotny. Um, and she's a, a like C-suite professional sales coach for big organizations. But she talks a lot about this of the idea of letting people go so they can go to better experiences or better opportunities. So it's not, I think we all kind of like, Oh, someone got fired. Someone got yeah, laid fired. off. And it's yeah. like, I feel bad for them. They're like, they're dead now. <laughs> they don't <laughs> exist in this reality anymore. And it's not yeah. that it's not like we're, you know, putting someone literally on the chopping block, but it's, it's, you know, 
flipping it and knowing that you're letting them free to go do something that actually is a better fit for them. It's yeah. that culture. It's the it, sorry, Keith, real quick. It's that culture of like postmortem, like something mm-hmm. went wrong. Let's do a postmortem. It's like, guys, yeah, a, we lost a deal. Nobody died. Yeah, like yeah, I know. Like, I hate that post. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like no, no, no. Like, let's learn from this and yeah. make it a good experience. Like, yeah, totally. it hurts that we didn't win the million dollar contract, yeah. but why? And yeah. Like, but since we treat it like a post mortem, uh-huh. we treat firing and like all. Yeah. We treat all of it with that. Something same went wrong. Kind of, not yeah, how do we yeah, yeah. make it better moving forward? Because we, I mean, we're big on looking back for learnings, but we call them retrospectives. <laughs> yeah, far more. Uh, so that, yeah, That's just what we looking do. back to learn, but not now that this thing is dead. How do we dig it up and dissect it? <laughs> no, and, and and it's and when it comes to people, it's a good point because we do have this natural inclination to judge and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're not good at this. You must not be good at anything." Right. Right. Or I feel it. I'm not good at this, so I must not be good at anything. Whereas I like what you mentioned about uh, the the leader that you were referring to, Rodney, and saying, like, this just might not be a good fit for you. Like, this is the culture that I'm trying to foster and facilitate. And ultimately, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, there's there's just doesn't seem to be a fit right now. Let's let's find something else or here's what I think. What do you think? And making it more of a. Uh, I don't want to say a positive thing because it's not necessarily positive to lose your job, but if you can turn the direction of it from leaving and losing to positively gaining something different, something better, you yeah. can yeah. you can really change the. I mean, that impacts your culture, and you talk about not burning bridges. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And to that point, even I mean, there again, people that haven't been the right fit for us for whatever reason, with the caveat of not the terrible, terrible people, the people that are good people and just not a good fit. Um, You know, we always offer and go as far as like, how can I help you? Or is there anyone that you want an introduction to? Like, what do you, what would you love to do? Like, what would make you feel really happy and inspired? And if we can make that introduction, happy to, again, it's not ever that like, you know, it's not that I don't like this person and I don't, I wish, I wish the worst for them. That's not ever it. Yeah, exactly. Now the, there's a balance in this. And I think this is where large corporations struggle. Um, and I'm curious to get your perspective. Yeah. You know, we talk cause we work with tech companies about diversity, Mm -hmm. right. And what that actually means, um, beyond just, you know, the things you see. Um, Perspective and experience are two very, very strong things in any organization that that drive, um, you know, a diverse population because yeah. they bring different experiences and they they just bring different perspectives that might improve or give you something that you never had before. Right. So the culture fit then has to be above that, right? Like, and how how you manage that is a very difficult, like someone comes in at we, yeah, they just don't seem like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Like how do you balance at Tinsel the, the diversity of experience and perspective with not being a culture fit because they can get conflated. Um, yeah. Yeah. Easily. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a gray area, right? You know, it's, we have a metric system when we interview people, but it's never like, it's like not like we grade on 
what would be included, you know, diversity and inclusion factors. And it's not like we have a grading system for the innumerable number of experiences someone Mm -hmm. can have, but, um, I guess too, when we think about diversity, it's not, I don't know, it's not defined and articulated so much like that as much as like, I don't know. That's a hard one. I got to think about that one. But a potential challenge I see with that is like, (laughs) imagine it's a group of a homogenous group. I want to yeah. just, I just a homogenous group, uh-huh. and then you put someone who's polar opposite from uh-huh. a, an appearance, like on the surface, completely yeah. different to, than that homogenous group. Yeah, they will automatically appear to not fit with that group. Yeah, so that's what's that's what I love about our team. I mean, again, we have the benefit of being in a certain city environment where I think just aesthetically and stylistically, a lot of us share difference you know we we have that that red thread but you know we've got people on our team that are like super tatted up and look a little like hardcore like punk scene some people on our team that are very preppy and like a little like you know buttoned up cardigan (laughs) kind of like country club style but when we talk about what we have in common and those shared things that make us the same type of creature it's it's you know it's the more important stuff like our when we talk about the value of like transparency and being just a really fucking hard worker, getting things done, problem solving, um, being able to be comfortable trying new things. Those are the things when we are like, this is what makes tinsel. This is when you're like, you're a tinsel person because mm-hmm. you are, you know, we talk about like grace under fire, right? Like our, what we do is so stressful. It's, and it seems silly a little bit because what we do on paper is throw parties and throw events that are just fun. That shit but is not easy. No, 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 no. Throwing I mean, a party that, is that, that goes out. off without a hitch. And if you're throwing it, you're not really enjoying it. Yeah. You're not enjoying it. You're not partying. And there's that list that comes out every year that people in the events industry generally are in like fifth or sixth most stressful jobs kind of sandwiched between like Which is crazy because like number one is air traffic controller. Like, uh-huh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think we're above like heart surgeons, like all these things that you're like, that actually is life or death. But what we do just by virtue of like every, you know, every day is so different. There's always a new problem to solve. There's always a million factors of like weather, traffic, humans, like whatever. Yeah. And um, so stress. all that stress. is to say, like the people on our team that fit eat that stress and consume it. And they're like, I'm still cool. and I'm still nice. And I'm still fun. <laughs> I think what you what just said right there, together. like you're a tinsel person. Like I think that scenario, that open accepting, like I don't care what you look like, what you came yeah. from, blah blah blah. Like if you can live in this environment, like that's the ideal world of what companies would do. Mm-hmm. The problem and the reason mm-hmm. why diversity is such a big thing is because, like, well, there are groups that will exclude other groups from being able to join that party. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, when you do add diversity metrics, that gets tricky as well because yeah, you, like it, they're checking a box. <laughs> yeah, so you're not necessarily so so you may get somebody who's just as qualified to do it, but they may not fit the culture. Yeah, yeah. And then nobody wins because then they're yeah. there like oh shit like. <laughs> I don't, and I, and I think I think <clears throat> um, in a micro way you you defined the point where you upper you up level the what the culture actually is like we are a Mm -hmm. culture that works that does like 
it's non-judgment if you come in and want to do it this way but if you're not willing to be honest yeah um if you're someone who comes in and you know let's be honest like we we all do this from time to time but there are certain people we've run into in our lives that constantly are negative and pessimistic Uh like i can work with you on changing that but at some point your attitude is affecting everybody else's it's bringing Uh negative energy right that's not perspective right that's just that that those are dynamics of interaction and human connection Mm -hmm. that define culture and then Uh everything else in where you came from the way you see that thing yeah. Um, the way you see the world can really find itself because yeah. you've defined and set that culture yeah, up by totally. saying this is how we work, this is what we yeah. do, and this is how we go about our business. Totally. And again, with events specifically, I mean, it, by virtue of what we do, there are always problems to solve. Like that is the job. It's not just throwing a party; it's solving problems. Sure. So what's funny is our team, generally, you know, as long as, as long as it's not too overbearing, our team loves that challenge of solving the puzzle of like finding the fix and you just the people that don't work here like can't get roadblocked by the problems you know mm. if it if it was easy everyone could do this so our Anybody team could be on the team yeah, yeah exactly right. exactly actually one of my our team members alexa who's wonderful and she's been with us the longest of any of our full-time people she had a client once she was on a call with and i had to go on mute because i was cracking up the client was like alexa you always have a will and she was like yep where there's a will there's a way and i always 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 have a will <laughs> that's awesome that's good i was like you need that i, wanna, I was like i don't want you to get that tattoo just always 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 have a will always <laughs> i want to flip it real quick i got a question yeah. to go into yeah keith we're, see, we're doing it again um <laughs> so there was this interview you did with stone fox bride and oh, you defined God, yeah. yourself so, as um, digging yeah yeah a yeah. little bit yeah. that's what keith is uh that's what my man does here um <laughs> You defined you, you 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 said you were that weirdo kid always walking around with a notebook and sketching clothes. Yeah. So there's a couple questions here, but the first one is when you say weirdo kid, is that young Erica talking to herself or is that other people defining her? Um probably other people. I mean, I and I guess not to go too deep into this, but I I, I oh, never go. really I mean, I was never I was never really bullied and I was lucky enough to go to a magnet school with other self-identified weird kids. <laughs> so all of us found each other, all of us that like, you know, were book nerds and, you know, and did everyone had different things. Like there's, you know, people are into science or, and the music, you know, all of us, it was a school where like, if you were in chorus and band and drama, you were the cool kids. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> then therefore you're no longer be. a weirdo at that point. Oh yeah. You're an ex- or you're like inside embracing, that. embracing what, the outside world might say is weird and i i always crack up when you see you know movies about middle school or high school where like the band geeks get well they're called band geeks first of all but they get you know shoved into lockers and all that i'm like that was so not my school experience i just just really loved my band friends (laughs) um but you know i i I think i'm still a weird kid i think i found all my weird kids and made them work for me (laughs) 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 invited them lovingly to work so so erica is this is this then the secret find your find Find your your weird weird tribe and make them work for you or work with them yeah the people that want to celebrate the weird and actually it's uh, that's that's very much what our 
style is known as, you know, I think part of it is that none of us at our company really came from events backgrounds, which is kind of an interesting thing. Everyone, you know, my, my partner Adette and I were in advertising and marketing. Liz was a science teacher in Harlem, which is a wild and crazy thing to do. And then we've got people that worked in the museum and art world, people that worked in TV and set production and kind of things that are peripheral and adjacent to our world. But with that, we don't come with any preconceived notions of how our events should look and feel. We just kind of do what we think is cool and funny. Usually funny. I was like, cool and funny. <laughs> but that means, you know, sometimes we just get really weird and outside of the box. And that's what people are coming to us for. But it's not just your usual standard, like, beautiful, but basic event, you know. So I want to dig into that. But yeah. because I have a question there, but before we do, like you, you went to this magnet school. So the, the weird mm -hmm. was embraced by the people that you cared about, your family, yeah. your parents. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. A question. Yeah. No, I was like, ellipses, dot, <laughs> Observation dot, dot. and question all rolled in without a question mark. <laughs> How cryptic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, we, you know, my parents are always really proud of me for being an overachiever and I think I came by it honestly and um, where you know both of my parents did really really well in school my mom in particular was the first um, integrated class of all of her schools of elementary school middle school high school college so that came with its own pressures I'm sure to you know perform and perform at a really heightened level so of course when I you know got to the point where I was in school and I you know was excelling and what have you I think they were really really excited about that and again found a community of people that were really into their kids being really excited about class and really excited to be involved in extracurriculars and you know even to that point I feel like now as an adult I love extracurriculars and have a lot of groups that I belong to um it just it makes me feel like a whole person and I know we before we started recording, we're kind of chatting about being busy. And I've been I always busy and enjoying being busy, but always make a point of it not just being busy at work, but busy doing things that I really enjoy. So, you know, being able to like see friends and my involvement with the Jackie Robinson Foundation, finding ways to, to sing when I get to sing with random groups. So... Because you um, did acapella in college, right? I did. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah. I've been a chorus kid forever and ever and, you know, did high school musicals and then was in an, an amazing award-winning acapella group in college. What um, was the group? Uh, the Bellas? The G I'm just kidding. <gasps> I know. Aka what? No, Aka, excuse so, me. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so we, uh, that's Team Warren Common's favorite movie. Yeah, that, or that, that, that series we're, of we're, movies. Like, if we were gonna have a fan club, like, we would be the Pitch Perfect fan club. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, trying to get Anna Kendrick just on so the good, you know? Yeah. Anna, join us. <laughs> so good. So I, I met my two business partners in the GW Vibes. Um, so I, it's a funny thing because that group auditions the very first night of college. So once you're in that kind of like is that grounds and anchors your college experience. So that was very much, you know, what my, my social life and friend group was built around in college. So, so the notebook <laughs> that defined your weirdness in the interview, yeah, yeah. Um, is that 
like the what what was in that notebook what were you sketching and how does that play into the vision of you know starting an event planning company after having jobs that you were ready to not do for the rest of your life yeah. like yeah how does that all play to, tie together yeah so when i was younger probably like fourth to seventh grade i was really 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 into the idea of fashion design so i had notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks. And actually I, I rediscovered stacks of these in my parents' house when they were moving last year. And was like, oh, I would still wear this shit. <laughs> I was like, I was good. Um, but I would design outfits and I like I was very studious about it. So I'd wake up on Saturday mornings and watch like E and take notes about the runway shows. Wow. And like, you know, like study the fashion magazines and be like, ooh, Alexander McQueen's new line. <laughs> Um, so that was, you know, part of my, my lineup of, you know, kind of Shakespeare and what have you, and then Vogue magazine. And I, I guess I got a little bit away from fashion specifically as I was getting older, but even now, I mean, I, not that I'm a big shopper shopper, but I love clothes and the idea of like dressing up and kind of like essentially being able to costume yourself on a daily basis and kind of wear things that that reflect how you're feeling or what you, you know, what you're into at the time. And, you know, now with my business, it kind of is the same exercise of using events and the creativity of what we're building here as a way to express something and just kind of build a world or build a universe. And it doesn't have to be something that lasts for a long, long time, but it's something that sticks with someone or creates a memory for them. And then you get to take it off and put on something new the next time. So what was the dream? When I was little? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh, well, firstly, I really wanted to move to New York. So check, nailed it. Nailed <laughs> um, it. That was a, a big part of the equation. And I've, I've wanted to live in New York probably since I was about five or six years old and cognizant of what a New York City was. Um, and I think, you know, part, you know, New York is so special and fantastical when you're little, I guess. I mean, when you live in Richmond, Virginia, as I did. So seeing it in movies and shows and it's always so glamorous and where all the big parties and like events are taking place. So I just wanted a, a piece of that magic. So moving to New York, um, when I was little, little, I did, you know, I wanted to be a big name fashion designer and have, you know, runway shows and all the production around that and the hair and makeup and the cameras and, you know, be interviewed on E! <laughs> um, so it's, you know, again, I feel like where I've grown up and what I do now is is a, a kind of alternative universe to that <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> do you feel connected but, to that dream, though? Like, I do. Like you're I mean, achieving I, it. I, like, you're doing I something don't amazing. Take for granted. I yeah. do not take for granted that a lot of the things that I get to do are very, very special and glamorous a two-sided coin of being very unglamorous and being very glamorous. So for example, um, fashion week's coming up here um, next week and our team has an event in a couple of days for Teen Vogue where Miss Anna Wintour is showing up. And to me, again, like that's such a moment of like my little Erica self is like, holy shit, I got the Vogue party and Anna Wintour is going to be there. 
But the unglamorous part of that is like, I'll also be like eating takeout Chinese in the back on cardboard boxes, mm. probably yeah. <laughs> at some point Yeah, that, you know, it's like, I, I'm not like standing next to Anna, but I'll see her with my eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's super special. And again, you know, I, something that I'm very cognizant of always is there are a lot of really dream venues that we get to work at and work at on a regular basis that I know so intimately and have been like deep in the hallways of, right? So something like the New York Public Library or, you know, a Cipriani's kind of space that's so like sparkly and spectacular and like storied. And even if you've never set foot in New York City, like you know what that space is somehow, you know, we're like the, the, the Waldorf before that wasn't a thing but you know just seeing that and like coming to america (laughs) having having been like i you know had like a a personnel only key to that space and i could let myself into any hallway or room that i wanted to you know it's such a weird special thing to be able to do yeah (laughs) no doubt (laughs) yeah uh i mean so it sounds like like they're different worlds but like aesthetic and design like it's still a part of it like in a, yeah in a, in a sense in a way definitely um so key's question kind of though like did you ever were, did you intend to run your own business or did you dream of running your own business or where, where did that come about for you i i didn't in my my young adulthood you know graduating college i didn't really expect to run my own business per se and definitely not as early in life as I did. I mean, we started the business, I was probably 28, 28 years old. Um, but also, again, going back to being a classic overachiever and being someone that was always like, you know, student council and the class president and blah, 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 like being someone in a leadership position, it also didn't surprise me that that's where this path led me. And the same thing, you know, meeting my two business partners that are very much the same kind of humans that are just extraordinarily awesomely hard workers and people that know how to get things done. And I don't think it came to a shock to any of us that that happened. The other fun little anecdote there is that we're all the oldest sister of two girls. So with all (laughs) self-awareness and love, we also know that we're, have been groomed to be bossy, (laughs) bossy women. (laughs) Yeah. I got a two Uh, and a half year old, old, the one of two who is uh, being groomed to groom herself very, very, very successfully to be the bossiest person in my house. I love, I love bossy bossy girls. Bossy girls get things done. (laughs) It's, it's so having a daughter and I'm getting ready to have another one. And even before having my daughter, I started to recognize this using the word bossy. Uh-huh. It, it only happens to women. It does not I happen know. to men. Yeah. Yeah. It's like true. if it's a man in the same scenario, he's a good leader. Yeah. He's yeah. a strong leader. Uh-huh. Confident. He's very yeah. assertive. Confident. Yeah. Assertive. He knows, yeah. he knows what he's looking for. He knows yeah. what he wants. Yeah. yeah. But a woman's bossy. Like we couch yeah. it. Like, because, yeah. and it's weird. And I was talking to, um, I had a lunch with a coworker the other day and I was like, man, it's, it's very much like for me, my experience being a black man in corporate America, where I got to show up with a bit extra just to be seen as my, as Keith, for instance, as my white counterparts, like just to be seen as equal. I can only imagine what it's like being a woman, Mm -hmm. like especially an executive or an owner where you've got to show up with extra. Yeah. Like, 
And then for somebody to turn around and call you bossy or bitchy or it's like, wait a second, if a guy does that exact same thing, it's lauded. Yeah. Yeah, not truly. And I mean, I, with that in mind, I mean, again, I, I said it before, I, I love bossy girls and I love that bossy girls grow up to be bossy women that get things done. So mm. we, we embrace it. I mean, I, I don't know that anyone outside of our circle has, at least not to my face, has it has called us. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> has called us bossy. Um, I mean, at least verbally to my to myself with my own ears. I mean, people do note that we again are problem solvers. We get things done. We keep things on track. So it's been positioned in a positive way, and it's never had that negative connotation. But again, the way that we speak to our team internally is that it's okay to be bossy as long as you know what you're talking about. And in fact, it's our job to be the leaders on any given project and on site. So if that means someone thinks you're bossy, fine. Like, you know, and this actually, this is an interesting thing is we have a reputation in our industry. And again, I'm knocking on wood that this never changes, but we have a, a reputation for being good and kind to work with. Cause we're not, we're not bossy in a bitchy or mean way. And, and we're, we're bossy we're actually, like we know our shit. Like way. we know our shit. Like, we know our shit. We move. can back I it up. Get things done. Yeah. Like this yeah, is yeah, what needs to happen. Why. Yeah. But we're also like, we're, we're known for being pretty chill and like laid back because, because we know our shit it's not scrambled. Like we can have a mm-hmm. great chill, good vibes day. Cause our shit is tight. But, um, I had a boss once upon a time in my life before tinsel that, you know, I was doing my, like a six month performance review. And a lot of what I had written about myself was that, you know, people that I work with in the agency really like me and like to work with me, which I still, I still to this day, and I think about, I think has a lot of value I just wasn't articulating. You said, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry, I think my, my earbud fell out a little bit. Um, but I was saying that um, in my past life, you know, my my job before Tinsel, I had a boss that was leading my six month performance review, and what I had written about myself and self reported was that a uh, you know a lot of people in the agency like me and like working with me, and even though I think about that still to this day, I, and I think that there has a lot of value in that. I just wasn't articulating it in a way that was valuable to the business. Mm. But what she said to me was like, it doesn't matter if people like you, it matters if they respect you. And I was kind of like, isn't that the same thing? And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, I don't know. I, I literally, I still think about that. So how do you, how do you think about it now? All the time. where I, where I was going with this, because it's still very much how I operate, um, is the way that I succeed in business is really investing a lot in my relationships and making sure that people know that I'll take care of them, that I'll get things done for them, that I'll make introductions and connect them in a way that's mutually beneficial. And so, you know, for me as a, a young 20-something, that's where I was going with that in my review but hadn't really positioned it as, you know, and that ergo then allows me to be successful in this role because people, you know, get things done for me. Um, you know, she was seeing it just as like, oh, people like to like hang out with yeah. you. People just like to go to happy Which hour is common with you. corporate speak, right? Like, yeah. You know, well, but it sounds like in your <laughs> life, like for you, like and respect are the same, like the whole not burning bridges, like for you, uh-huh. get, like being in like, with someone that you're working with is yeah. about 
it's about mutual respect and it's totally. about Totally. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it's such an individual. They're not mutually exclusive. Terms, they are not. The no, and like they, yeah. they the can whole, go like, hand in hand. You have to be respected and feared, and yeah. not like like that's they can go yeah. hand in hand. Like it matters to me that people like and respect me, right? Yeah, they, that's totally. how you get a president Same. like the one we have right now. Oh, right, we, we only have nine minutes left, bro. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it, but no, it's true. <laughs> you respect it's, above it's all. That, like, that's that, how Trump yeah. happens. It's that mindset, yeah. right? Like, I, right. you know, don't care about if people like you. Like, it, I mean, I do, but then you don't need it to be so detrimental to your psyche that you can't proceed and move forward because right. someone doesn't like you at some point. No, exactly. What was exactly, that uh, exactly. transition like? Like, I know we're we're short, we're we're coming up on time, but I was, I mean, we love talking to entrepreneurs because yeah. we are, and there is especially entrepreneurs who have had that corporate job, right? That that space, like yeah. we um, do, and then you had to switch. Yeah. Like, what was that like for for the three of you? Because, I mean, yeah. that's even more complicated because it's three people uh, having three. to do it, right? I know. Three journeys. So, I mean, a little bit of universe at work. We were doing Tencel, first of all. The first two years, we were doing it on top of our full-time jobs and nights and weekends. And it became a lot. And it got to the point where we were like, holy shit, this is a thing that might actually be a business. It might mm -hmm. be viable. So we were starting to put pieces in place to transition. And I was going to be the first one to quit my day job and just float with the business, see what happens. And assuming we'd be successful, then Adette was going to quit her day job. Six months later, Liz is going to ride out her school year, and then we'd all be bajillionaires and successful and whatever. But um, about two months before that that go date, I got laid off from my day job and had kind of like a like holy shit, holy shit moment. But also like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, guess right. I, can do it. I guess I can do it. Now <laughs> I got to do something, but awesome. Yeah. I, I got well, something to do. Severance, <laughs> unemployment. <laughs> That's right. And time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, perfect. And then three months later, that got laid off from her day job. Oh, wow. So we took it as a little bit of universe at work and signs that, all right, let's see what happens. And, mm. you know, obviously that was about seven, eight years ago. Before the last recession, <laughs> um, yeah. shadows of the last recession. So you heard it here first. Entrepreneurial it's strategy. It's Get laid off. Get laid off. That's right. Just Take like, a severance like, and start your you own know, business. Just like do it. It's <laughs> so saying. easy and so relaxed. But yeah. how long were you? How long were you working on things up to that point? Like doing the about two the years. Oh, about two things. years. And I, again, part of that the first year was like, what is our business called? We should probably get incorporated. <laughs> Let's put a website up and see if someone wants to pay us money. Yeah. So it really was. I mean, maybe a year that we were actually like, you know, we brought on clients and people were actually paying us to do things and just figuring out our process and what have you. And what I wanted to say too is to fast forward to where we are now when answering that same question, Keith, is a big challenge of where we are now that the business has matured and we've got team members that we have to remain accountable for is as the business has grown up, we've had to kind of hearken back to more of the corporate business processes and yeah. lifestyles. Yeah. That when we first started, we were like, 
we're not corporate, like celebrating <laughs> that, and, you know, being, you know, being independent yeah. and being yeah. able to kind of well, do you things you your were own tiny, way. Right? You didn't, yeah. yeah, but you know, and that works when there are three of you, and you're kind of like, sweet, who needs rules? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we work for ourselves. We don't need office yeah. hours yeah. <laughs> at HR. Yeah. Um, but now that we have other team members, we had to really reconcile how do we still stay you know a small agile company and be independent and a fresh place to work but also have rules and standards and procedures so you know when people have vacation days what does that look like do they need to report it in you know what was the tipping point for y'all like what what number employee did did that start becoming important for you well, we, when, besides the three of us partners, we brought on four full-time people at the same time. So that was absolutely the like, oh, now it's not just us. <laughs> now we've got a, oh, so like that was company. like at the beginning, like wow. right away. No, 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 no. So that was probably, that was, um, 2016. So <laughs> 2000, we started the business in 2010 um, and then over the course of the years, had a few freelance and project-based people. But 2016 is when we had our first mm. full-timers. And that was really the the tipping point into making us like, okay, this is a real thing. And we need real processes and have to be just a, just a, a touch of corporate. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's funny because even, I mean, we do it all the time when you work for a company and we often oh corporate corporate but you mm. know you start your own thing and you you build that it, it's a natural evolution culture yeah. is the great equalizer right if you, yeah. if you have the right culture that establishes people accept the corporate mm-hmm. because yeah. they're in the culture that they want to be a part of yeah so, no totally but um we have three minutes left um it's flown by sadly right there's so many other things that we have to leave on the table (laughs) right now questions written Um, (laughs) um, but there's one last question that we can't go away without asking all right hit me what would you leave what do you want to leave our audience your audience now with to think about to ponder on um again i guess since Culture is really the hot topic, and we've talked a lot about what that means and values. I twofold question. First part is what parts of your current culture, and whether that's at a company or even you know in your household with your family, what parts of the culture feel really right and matter and have a big impact. And then the second piece of that is what do you think needs to change or be added to be more beneficial and productive?